long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, political scientist at North Kentucky University. With me today is my regular co-host, Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican Factotum, Jay Carson. Good morning, Jay. How you doing? I am, uh, you know, I keep thinking I, I should come up with, you know, better than a, um, you know, Bernie Sanders in a gulag or something. But, um... Uh, Bernie Sanders and better than Bernie Sanders in a Potemkin village. How about that? Well, okay, okay. Um, I guess that's something. Sure, absolutely. Um, that works on a lot of levels. I guess it. I guess it does for you if it works and stick with it. Uh, I am actually doing pretty well because it's always nice when I can sort of sit in the passenger seat and and let you kind of drive the show. And so, yeah. uh, so why don't we, if you're ready to to take the wheel, why don't we just get at it? Well, this is, I think, probably the the big story for us uh, that we will be reporting, and, it, and it's a little weird because it's almost like we're kind of late, but uh, is, of course, the um, uh, report of uh, Special Counsel Robert Mueller was delivered uh, to the Justice Department last Friday. Um, our programs are typically recorded Saturday mornings, um, so no real details uh, were available until Sunday. Uh, at this point, what has, has happened is the Attorney General, uh, Robert Barr, has uh, presented uh, conclusions from the report, sort of a summary, uh, to Congress that's been released publicly. Uh, he will follow up by releasing a redacted version of the report in mid-April. Uh, Democrats are grouching that they would like to see it on Tuesday, um, uh, but the uh, Justice Department is, is pushing back on timelines for for redacting uh, information related to intelligence sources, grand jury information. You have to get court approval for that. Um, but the the big uh, the big takeaway uh, from the Mueller report and, and Mike, the, the two words you've been waiting to <laughs> waiting to say for so long, um, uh, of course, uh, no collusion. Um, the uh, special counsel found no evidence of, of collusion to, uh, with Russia by the Trump campaign to hijack the, uh, the election or anything inappropriate in the election. That's not to say that they didn't find plenty of evidence that the Russians uh, on their own had participated in um, uh, attempts to meddle in US, uh, uh, the, the U.S. election by planning, uh, among other things, planning fake stories in social media and using fake bots to, to promote them. Um, uh, the other conclusion or non-conclusion of the report is the obstruction of justice issue, where uh, Robert Mueller did not reach a conclusion, um, and uh, supposedly, uh, was, as is reported, uh, he told uh, Barr several weeks ago that he would not reach a conclusion, uh, at which point uh, the Justice Department uh, has said that they don't believe there is any obstruction of justice to, uh, to prosecute or, or, or follow up on. So there's there's a lot going on there, um, and again, it, it's weird because to summarize what's also happened in the last week. Um, but uh, this is uh, the first thing I think I, I, I think we should do, Mike, is is sort of take a self congratulatory bow. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and no, and, and the, my, the reason for doing that is uh, many of our listeners, um, the loyal listeners, have pushed for you know why aren't we talking about the Trump investigation more? Why aren't we talking about the Mueller report more? Why aren't we um, dealing with these these issues, and our response has always been, we don't want to uh, traffic in sort of rumor or innuendo right. and so forth. We want to uh, 
when there's there's an actual news report document uh something to talk about actual findings uh you know that's that's the time to talk about it so uh mike i, I would say we performed better than many of our peers in the media um again they're, they're under different pressures than what we are certainly um one they have to like actually try to make money yeah. um <laughs> that, yeah and report things uh-huh. you know more than more often than than once a week um but no i i think that one of one of the topics i wanted to talk about was sort of the how the media ends up looking um at the end of end of this as the report now comes out um when there were so many sort of breathless narratives of of you know treason and so forth um so i mean what are your thoughts on on that uh, now i would point out some of the more egregious examples i mean um you know time magazine had a cover uh showing the white house morphing into the kremlin um uh, there were, again, reported the, the original BuzzFeed uh, 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 leaking of the, uh, the um, dossier, which apparently led to, to most all of those allegations of collusion and treason and so forth. Um, the uh, uh, well, I, I, I could go on, but but again, my my sense is that, um, and I'll I'll jump in before you, Mike, because uh, you said I can drive today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, but. Uh, I think I think the the more sober news outlets uh, performed better and look better in retrospect, um, and and I I, I think that uh, there's also something to be said that um, I, at least at this point it's, this is this is something that's hard to see down the down the line, but there's I think some institutional trust that has been formed now in that look the. Uh, Mueller was certainly not a Trump fan. Um, the staff, there were 50-some attorneys, uh, many of whom uh, were also not Trump fans or, or at least uh, uh, registered Democrats uh, had been associated with, with Democrat uh, politics before. Um, and, and they came back with, with a report. And again, we haven't seen the entire report yet, so, uh, but um, where it's a sort of bit-by-bit, bit, 400 pages, uh, they interviewed 500 some witnesses, I believe, um, and 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 came up saying that they could they could find no evidence. So um, that that ought to be in in one respect sort of um, reassuring. Um, so but I guess less reassuring is the how some other uh, how some press outlets reacted to it. But but I'm Mike, I want to get your take. So. Well, I uh, start with I disagree with your characterization of uh, the findings, and I'm. I'm basing this on the uh, the letter that uh, Attorney General Barr released, which uh, which in in fact included we don't have the report as you pointed out, but we do have certain quotes from the report that Barr uh, that Barr put in the letter, and it's a short letter, to the four pages, easy to read. Uh, a couple of the quotes I think are pretty important. Uh, number one, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. So now that's not okay. though no collusion, and in fact, the attorney well, that's, general. That's not well, no let collusion. me finish, okay? That? Let me finish. The attorney general especially highlights another part of the report, saying that the special counsel states that while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. So there's a big difference between saying no collusion, no evidence, and in fact, you know, I'm not just blaming you. Uh, you know, even some of the the awful fake news media have just kind of gone to that shorthand, but no collusion is not the conclusion. 
the conclusion based on all the all that we know right now, which is just the attorney general's report, is there was not enough evidence to establish con- uh, uh, collusion. Uh, and right. so that's that's very different. And I don't I don't think that the attorney general, who certainly is, you know, a fan of executive uh, executive power and uh, Donald Trump's pick, would have specifically put that second quote in there if he didn't want to emphasize that point. And so I think a lot of the reporting on the report has been disappointing. And it goes to, I think, the media just wanting a black and white, black or white, innocent or guilty kind of uh, uh, verdict. And it's pretty clear to me that even though we haven't seen the Mueller report, that it's a lot of shades of gray. Well, I, I, I guess, yeah, that they want a, a black or white, innocent or guilty. But to some extent, the way our, our system works is you're either going to be charged or not charged. Yeah, but this is a different thing because it's not a criminal. I mean, it, there was no question well, that the president would be indicted. So this is the question of, you know, would there be the real question here, as I always thought it was, would be, right. would there be enough evidence of conclusion or sorry, of collusion to move forward with uh, impeachment? And clearly it would, it would there's raise not. the level of, yeah. of an impeachable offense. And yeah. certainly there's not. But so certain. And so saying no collusion is that's. That's not supported by what we know of the Mueller report, but certainly okay. saying not enough, co- not enough collusion to rise to a legal standard of, you know, of, of go ahead well, and prosecute. No, yeah, let's, let's, let's go, let's go back through this. I mean, cause again, it, it, as you point out, it's, it's one, there's no new indictments. Right. Um, uh, two, although I think the, the conventional wisdom is you can't in, indict a sitting president. I suppose there's some, uh, dispute over that. Um, but the, the, the conclusion that look after, after all these resources have been spent, um, and they were not able to find this again, conspiracy, which is what, which is what launched this. Right. Um, now to say that the, you know, he's been exonerated. That's, that's a different thing because again, that's not, that was not, uh, Mueller's job and never was. Um, we don't, we don't hire special prosecutors to prove people are innocent. Sure. Um, so yeah, my, my sense is, you know, if you want to quibble, if it's no collusion, um, I, I still think, you know, the saying that we threw, uh, all the resources of the, the FBI, the, the intelligence community, um, two years, uh, you know, unlimited budget, you know, the justice department also significantly, um, uh, certified that it did. Nothing, you know, whatsoever to to curtail or or clip Mueller's wings. He had all the resources he needed. They did nothing to uh, try to hinder the investigation, and Mueller seems to acknowledge yeah. that. Um, and, and let me be clear, and, Jay, on this: that I am not saying that uh, President Trump is is guilty in any sense, or should be uh, should be uh, indicted or impeached or anything like that. As far as I'm concerned, based on what I know, is that. This is this particular Trump investigation is over, and it seems to me that there is clearly not enough evidence to take it to any other level. And so we right. just kind of need to put this investigation behind us, despite what we might think, no, no matter what I might think about Trump and collusion or anyone else, is that there's just not enough to go forward with it, especially given the fact that going forward it, with it would mean basically challenging the you know the the results of a democratic election sure. and so to me that standard always had to be pretty high 
it seems clear given, you know, with this thorough investigation, it did not come close to getting to that standard of proof. And so, so I'm fine with saying, okay, that's that, even though okay. I'm certainly but not, not no, but you can't, you can't bring yourself to say the thing, bring yourself to say those two words. Because they're not, I mean, I don't have, I don't have, I don't see that there's proof of, of that. All right. I mean, I'm 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 comfortable in asserting that the Loch Ness monster doesn't exist. That's a, that's a that's a bad because, analogy because it no, certainly no, no, seems not a bad analogy. No, I think it is, but because uh, it's not like a ridiculous and fanciful kind of bizarre sort of thing. There's you know, well, and, and I guess let, maybe let's 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 back up just a little bit though because that that's actually something I wanted to mention. Let's let's consider the the basis of this claim started out that the president of the United States was actually a secret agent for the Russians. Well, some people said that, but now, come on, there, there, I don't think that that was the standard narrative. The standard narrative was more like the president or Donald Trump, before he was president of the United States, was willing and able to work with uh, the Russians to defeat Hillary Clinton. Not that he was a secret it, it, it agent. Were to, well, Let, we're willing not. to, but, but we're not willing to work with Hillary Clinton to um with the Russians. To take, to take, with the Russians. Yeah, he, he was much more willing to work with the Russians than Hillary Clinton. Come on now. Right. Exactly. He's got some standards. Um uh, but but no, I mean you, you don't find that narrative in itself to be uh, striking and, and no. as we said when this story first broke with the with the dossier, it was what, you know, again over two years ago. Um I mean, I remember I said, look, if, if this is true, then yes, it is treason. And this is probably the sure. biggest story in American history. Um, and, and I think you responded uh, quite thoughtfully with the, the uh, um, Carl Sagan uh, quote that, you know, big claims require big Absolutely. Proof. Yeah. And, I, I, and I think there's there's not nearly enough proof that the President Trump or Donald Trump and, you know, before that was was a uh, was or is a Russian agent, certainly. And I always thought that was a okay, a Loch Ness monster type of claim, certainly. But I thought much more likely was the claim that, well, you know, he didn't see the problem of working with whoever could defeat Hillary Clinton. And, you know, Russia happened to be, or certain Russian individuals happened to be tied into that, and they were tied into the Russian government. I still think that's plausible, but clearly there hasn't been enough evidence to demonstrate that. And, and again, you know, and I also think, Jay, that probably we're going to be able to have a better conversation about this in mid-April when we have more than a four-page summary, essentially. Sure. You know, and I, I'm sure. looking forward to that conversation. All right. All right. Well, we'll, we'll continue to wait till all the, the facts are in. But, um, but, you know, there was that second thing I thought that was really important that you mentioned that I think got more of the attention this week, right? That why did, why did Mueller just essentially punt on the obstruction yeah. of justice thing? And also related to that, Given that, why did Barr and Rosenstein basically only need a couple of days to say, no, that's, he, there's no obstruction here, right? Well, I mean, I think, I think what they, the only reason they needed a couple of days is, look, if, if Mueller, with all his resources, uh, can't find something that he believes rises to the level of obstruction of justice or can't reach a conclusion on that, then, uh, you know, then the conclusion is to be, to be reached is there's not enough evidence to move forward on it. And, so. Yeah, and I, I agree with you on that. I know a lot of a, a lot of folks on the left had a had a problem with that. Why, you know, why did they reach that decision so quickly? But that was exactly what I thought as well. If if Mueller's team did all that work and summarized it, they could certainly read the summary. And also, yeah. given the fact that I think that they're going to be 
just not given their allegiance to Trump, but given their views of executive power and kind of related issues, I think they would expect that to be a pretty high standard of proof. And there's also that issue of if there's no... There's no crime, what are you obstructing? But, but, but still, that's, from my understanding, that's not necessarily because you can try to sure. obstruct an investigation because you might not want other things that aren't the focus right. of the investigation to come right. out. Certainly. You're, you're obstructing the, the investigation because you don't want them to find, you don't want the fact that your, your mistress is getting paid off or something sure. like that. Um, but that's not related to the original crime. Yeah, that would still be obstruction yeah. of justice. But um, but that's pretty tough. But, as you know, as I think a lot of folks pointed out, is a lot of the obstruction stuff, especially with the president, goes came to, down to firing Comey. Well, yeah, and well, that too. And you have to look at well, what's the what can the president do in his role as president? How do you separate that out from? Is he doing that just because he sees that as the best thing to do in his legitimate role as president? And how do you get into the president's head and understand, you know, if he's actually doing this to obstruct or doing this just in the in the uh, you know the execution of his duties as president? And that's a that's a and, pretty and tough. The, call. And and then there's the other question of, of does it matter? How how, how so? What do you mean? That well, I mean, matter? I think there's 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 a. I mean, I think the the, the, the again the received sort of popular wisdom on this and it's you know hasn't necessarily really been tested in court is that look the president has absolute constitutional power to discharge inferior officers right. yeah he when he when he runs afoul of that the the idea would be if so you know if if um he were to fire Mueller because or fire comey i'm sorry uh because well i want to protect uh you know say gates or something like that um well, that wouldn't necessarily be, I said, well, wouldn't necessarily, wouldn't right. be obstruction of justice because, look, he's the, the head of the well, of yes, U.S. law enforcement yeah. and sort of it's a sort of prosecutorial discretion. Almost. Well, yes and no. I mean, now if he's now if he's investigating Trump himself, I think that's, that's something different. OK, I see what you're saying. Gotcha. And again, that would be that's more close to the, the Watergate parallel. Yeah. Um, right. Where Nixon essentially told the Justice Department, stop investigating me. Right. Um, now, that never rose to the level of, you know, actually having a court hearing finding and, and so forth like that. Um, and again, we're dealing in, in that sort of more amorphous, uh, yeah. impeachable offense area as opposed to a, a, you know, crime that you actually prosecute. Yeah, when, I think you're um, right. When it gets into the sort of, uh, well, stop investigating this guy because maybe he might have something, some dirt he could spill on me, but making yeah. those kind of making those kind of secondary and tertiary connections can be really difficult, which I think is just kind of goes, goes to why it's so difficult in this particular instance to demonstrate, uh, to demonstrate kind of clear intent to obstruct justice. Yeah. So let, let's, let's bounce a, a more to just the politics of this. Um, uh, regardless of whether you, you, uh, you will, you will say no collusion. Trump certainly is. And, um, and and is, is sort of taking a victory lap on this. Uh, the Democrats, on the other hand, are, are there's a little bit of a, a fissure there in that there are some that now want to pivot more to policy issues, uh, and there are uh, some who are are still manning the barricades. Um, uh, particularly, I'm thinking of um, Congressman uh, Adam Schiff, um, Congressman uh, Sewell of California, who uh, took to the television airwaves last week to. Insist that the dossier is is in fact true, has not been disproven, um, and um, uh, representative uh, from Minnesota 
uh, who uh, introduced an impeachment resolution. So what are, you, what are your thoughts as far as where Democrats go moving forward now? Do you, will they pivot the policy or, or are they going to be able to, you know, not control this this uh, wing that still is yeah. sort of impeachment or bust? But before, before we get to that, Jay, there is one thing that I wanted to, to ask you about, about the actual investigation itself that we didn't, that we didn't get to before, before we move into that is, you know, one of the other questions that I wanted to raise about the investigation itself and, and a concern that some people, especially on the left, had is the fact that Mueller never actually subpoenaed Trump and they never actually got personal testimony from him. And, and certainly his attorneys were trying very hard to not make that happen. Now, my understanding on this, and I just wanted to get your take, is that essentially in cases where you're asking, I mean, there's not a press, a legal precedent on this, whether or not the, the count independent or the sorry the special counsel can subpoena president now uh, Ken Starr did subpoena Clinton but then Clinton agreed to talk and so Starr right. withdrew the subpoena and and so it's never been taken into the courts and my sense of things is that the Mueller team wasn't sure if they could win on the merits and the Trump attorneys were also really good about essentially flooding Mueller with information to basically shut down the need. Or his testimony. It's my understanding is, or, is or, or you might say complying with yeah. his requests, but. <laughs> but but I think the standard is that the only the only way the courts would probably be okay with the subpoena is if there was no other way that the special counsel could get the information that they needed to get, and the Trump team wanted to make sure that any of those questions could be answered by something other than Donald Trump getting in a room with some investigators where he could. There's a, certainly a. I would say which, a is, which is a good call. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> absolutely. But but is that is that kind of does that take on it seem about right to you? Yeah. No, I mean, I think the, the closest, um, you know, legal precedent is is the Nixon case. Right. Um, and in that case, it's a little different because it, it was, you know, they were uh, there was a subpoena for, uh, you know, what essentially documents or, or items um, over which the. Uh, President claimed executive privilege. Yeah. And what the Supreme Court, Supreme Court said, yeah, executive privilege exists, but it doesn't go this far. Um, and and many said that was actually the bigger turning point in Watergate, the release of the tapes, which, um, you know, didn't necessarily go to to Watergate, but just made Nixon out to, to look very much like a bore. Yeah. Uh, and 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 you know, even more unlikable than than he had been before. Um. So I mean that's that's the closest thing. Now again, if there's a showdown um, between a sitting president and a, uh, uh, a special special um, counsel, yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, there's sort of an interest on all sides in avoiding that. Yeah, you know, just yeah. just because of the the optics of it, no one comes out looking good. It's probably not good for the country. It's probably not good for the constitution. Um, so I mean, I I think it's th- Sort of all like responsible grown-up parties work together to to avoid that, and I think that's probably a good thing. Yeah. Um. Uh, it does does the special counsel have power to um, subpoena a president? Yeah, I think he probably probably does, subject to the limits of executive privilege. But again, those limits haven't really been been tested, uh, at least not in you know close right. to you know okay. forty-five years. Yeah. So, so I, I, like I, said, I just wanted to get your view on that. It sounds like that we're we're pretty much in in the concert on that. So, on on the other thing that you asked about the, the, the politics of it, you know, certainly there are 
a few voices still on the left who are, are calling for impeachment. For the most part, the party, the Democratic Party, has dropped that and is moving on the policy. And I think that's a smart thing. Now, that's not to say that there still aren't any legitimate grounds for investigating President Trump and the Trump Association, or sorry, the Trump Organization and all that. You know, there are still a number of ongoing actions with Trump associates that are related to those, I think it was 34 indictments that the mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mueller invested. And there's still, a, I guess, a grand jury that's impaneled that's still doing some work. There's this mysterious foreign government that hasn't... Uh, that our foreign corporation that hasn't complied, and I believe is being now fined like $50,000 a day or something like that. I don't know. And, 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 you know, there's still like other things like the Trump tax return thing. So I think there are still other legitimate grounds. There's, there's plenty of, I think there's plenty of corruption in the Trump world to investigate certainly, but the Russia corruption thing, our collusion thing, as far as I'm concerned, I think as far as, you know, the democratic leadership in Congress is concerned and most of the membership is that's, that's a battle that they're interested in pivoting away from. And I think, I think for good reason. Yeah. Well, I, I would, I would think so too. I mean, that would be my instinct. Um, but if, if I knew how, um, you know, AOC and, and Adam Schiff and some of these people thought, um, I mean, I, I, I just don't, but I mean, it, it, to some extent though, isn't there a danger of we're going to continue to investigate? Um, but to what end? Well, I, I think, I think it's a, right because you yeah. sort of you sort of give everybody riled up. We're going to find out all this stuff, and I suppose look, it's always good, you know, campaign fodder. That you know, Trump did Trump and had sleazy business dealings and so forth. But that would come as no surprise to anyone, right? But I think I think that it is it does matter when it comes to like issues of well, uh, has are there violations of the emoluments clause? Uh, uh, you know things like there are still issues about his inaugural. And, and I guess that's my question. So if, if there are violations of the emoluments clause, what are you going to do about it? Well, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure. It depends what level they rise. I don't, I don't mean you. I'm, yeah. I'm speaking no, no, sort yeah. of both. I mean, it depends on what level those things rise to, because I think the only, the only remedy in that sense is a political remedy, right? right? And my feeling is that nothing is, and I've said this, I think, Jay, from the beginning, is I didn't think there was going to be anything that would rise to the level of an impeachable uh, offense. And I had some, you know, serious issues with sure. that, uh, with that sort of that focus. But I do think it's important to, you know, hold the president up to a very high standard in all of his dealings. And so I think that Congress is rightly exercising its investigatory and oversight role. And, you know, I, I certainly want to see the president's tax returns. Uh, and I certainly want to see the results of these other investigations that are on different things. And so I think that actually, both in terms of, you could say, ethically, morally, and politically, it's a good idea, so long as you're not just kind of beating the same kind of dead horse of the Russia thing. To me, that particular thing's over. But there's, again, I think so much corruption uh, surrounding Donald Trump that you can profitably and rightly investigate many, many other things. And in fact, those investigations are going on both at the congressional level, I mean, the state level. There's a, there's a lot. A lot. Se- 17 of them, as you counted last Yeah, time, so you know that. Or maybe we're down to 16 now. Yeah, I guess we would be if now. We're saying If we're saying Mueller's over. Yes. But I think, Jay, that the, the key point to take away from all of this, and certainly the key point I took away from all of this is, we we got it right from the beginning, you know. I think we really need to emphasize. Right. Keep your powder dry. You know, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I guess moving moving on, um, 
in something that is, is non-Mueller, but more policy-related, uh, the Trump administration also pivoted a little bit um, in terms of its approach to the Affordable Care Act. Uh, there have been a, a federal Justice Department-backed uh, suit moving forward to uh, uh, invalidate certain portions of the ACA. Uh, last week, uh, President Trump announced uh, in the Justice Department applied that uh, they would be expanding their request to uh, essentially knock out the entire ACA. Um, as you recall, the you know the the idea was that uh, it was constitutional because the penalties imposed uh, for not in getting insurance uh, were a tax, and that lie, lies within uh, Congress's taxing power. Um, since that piece went away. Uh, the question is, under what authority does Congress now have to to, to uh, require these um, policies and, and the rest of the, the ACA? And then the next question after that is sort of what's called the severability question is, look, if parts of it are unconstitutional, does that mean the whole thing falls or or just the unconstitutional parts are stricken? Yeah. And so and this is this is causing some concern to um, Republican Congress people who look, uh, health care was. And, and I would I would posit, and I, I think you would probably agree with me, um, that the numbers show uh, the the results of last year's election were probably more about health care issues than than Trump resistance. I, I, I mean, at least that's. I'd say that health care was a big part, certainly. So yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, and to some extent, obviously, it, 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 you know, the two sort of go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, but. You know, I think most voters from the polls that I have seen, exit polls, said, you know, their biggest concern was health care. It wasn't necessarily countering Donald Trump. Um, so this is this, this is a bit of a gambit by the White House to push this, and it puts pressure on Republicans in the Senate uh, to come up with a replacement uh, health care proposal, which Trump has called upon them to do. Um, now, they weren't able to come up with something last time. Um, perhaps this may concentrate the mind a little bit, a little bit more. Um, but, uh, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on, on, uh, well, on, again, the, the politics yeah. of it and the, the, the pivot sort of on, the more expansive on the politics of it, you know, it seems like Donald Trump just cannot help stepping on his own. Well, anyway, he can't take a victory lap on, on the, right, you exactly. Know, yeah. But, but <laughs> couldn't you have waited a week? You know, exactly. Well, you know, I think a couple of things strike me about this. Number one, obviously, as you know, Jay, that typically the administration's role when uh, when the federal law is challenged, is to to the extent that they possibly can, is to defend those laws. And and uh, correct. And, and we talk when we talk when the federal judge's ruling came out, Judge uh, O'Connor, I believe it was Reed O'Connor. When that ruling came out, you talked a lot about the severability issue, and that's also generally speaking the default position is to try to save as much of the law as you possibly can in a lot of legal exactly that the yeah the legal presumption is uh one acts are constitutional yeah uh and to the extent they're not constitutional uh what is uh, should be preserved yeah unless unless it is is somehow so intertwined that the one uh, cannot stand without the other yeah and so i think there are two issues here the first is you know the ruling about the individual mandate right and that's what that that's essentially the logic of the ruling saying that, well, since in 2017, when Congress passed the, the tax reform bill, they zeroed out the, the penalties for that, then now all of a sudden the authority for Congress to do this, to impose this mandate under its taxation power goes away. 
because yep. there's no tax penalty. Now, kind of, I, I, I would say that that's questionable reasoning because I would say that, well, the basis for the first Supreme Court ruling was that Congress was forcing people to do something uh, and that while they couldn't force them by imposing a fine, they could force them by using the tax code to sort of incentivize them to do that. But now it's no longer the case that people are being forced to do anything because a mandate without a penalty isn't a mandate. It's Congress giving people a choice. So I would argue that the whole nature of it is different. Now, now that's, that's maybe that's a disputable claim. And I think there's a reasonable argument to be made maybe on the other side, even though I don't think it's strong, but this idea of, well, the whole thing must fall. I mean, the very fact that Congress, when they passed this tax reform, decided to not take out the rest of Obamacare, you know, pretty strongly signals congressional intent. And so I think yeah. really that the Trump administration here is siding with pretty significant judicial activism on the, on the part of Judge O'Connor. And I think that's one of the reasons why a number of Republicans, and I would guess probably you to a certain extent, are, are concerned about that because it, it, there, I mean, it's a, it's a big problem. I think. I'm not, well, I'm not, I'm not terribly concerned in that. Um, well, I mean, let's put the, the Republicans who are concerned are, are Republicans who are in swing districts, right? Closer districts. Sure. Uh, you're more conservative, um, uh, Tea Party uh, and uh, you know Freedom Caucus House seats, I think see this as very much as a good thing. Um, legally speaking, I I would tend to agree. I I think it's a sort of a tough stretch to, to say, okay, well, yes, part of this it would be unconstitutional, um, but clearly, uh, whether I agree with it or not, uh, a decision to expand Medicaid is within Congress's power. I mean, yeah, ass assuming. Uh, you know, at, per the Sibelius ruling, it's it's not um, requiring states to expand Medicaid, but it's offering you know states and allowing and, and incentivizing states to expand Medicaid. Um, uh, that's I I I think that piece can probably stand without the the rest of it. But I'll, I mean, it remains to be seen how those those arguments uh, get made. I mean, you could maybe you know make the argument that because you're moving different pieces of money from different places and you're relying on the, the, uh, the exchanges to pick up this many people that, you know, Medicaid expansion won't work. I mean, that's anticipate that the argument would be. Um, but as far as just a, laying down a marker uh, and, and politics wise, I, I don't think it's a bad move. I mean, I look, I, I think it probably loses uh, in court. Um, but at the same time, uh, Trump can say, I, I push to have this entire thing wiped out and I ask Congress to, uh, start over. Um, um, I'm doing. I'm doing what I said I'd do. Um, so I mean, to some extent, I think I think there's a little safety in that. I, I don't think the administration believes that um, any court would actually take take that step and strike down the entire statute. I, I think it's a. I think it maybe I could see it from because Donald Trump. It seems like sees everything just from the viewpoint of Donald Trump, and and so from that particular perspective. Maybe it makes a certain sense, but certainly from the perspective of congressional Republicans, it's not a very good move, which I think. Right. Is, you know, why, yeah. A lot of people in swing districts. Why do I need this headache of having to now? I, I think there also you could you could argue that, um, look, these uh, those representatives would have this headache anyway. Well, and I think that's sort of a very, a very Trumpian thing of, look, you're going to get blamed and you're going to get attacked for um uh pushing grandma off the cliff and and uh leaving people to starve and die in the streets and all that sort of thing anyway 
Um, but it but it puts them know. in a it puts them in a tough position because now they they have to answer the question of well the Trump administration essentially wants to kill all this including you know all the millions of people who've gotten coverage under Medicaid expansion how do you feel about that? that's a, a president who cares about his party doesn't sure. put and, and there was no reason to do it either because it's not like it's not like I don't think it's going to make a material difference in the ruling in the court rulings really. And so it was it was staking out a marker that's going to have nothing but negative consequences if you care about conservative policy being enacted. And so, again, I just think it's it's Trump's uh, uh, selfishness and, and short sightedness hurting more than anything his own party. So I was happy to see it, of course. You know, I think it's, oh, yeah. a, it's a great move. But I would say that if I were a conservative and, you know, and, and I, I would think, my God, why can't this man just. Can't this man just stop, you know, shooting himself in the foot, basically, or shooting us well, in the foot? I, you know, yeah, I, 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 would, I mean, again, to me, it, it comes. There's, there's sort of the, the coordination question of, and again, why, why? And, you know, again, it's a little weird because I, I tend to look at things with a couple different lenses, um, and sometimes I, I look at it through my, my lawyer lens. Sometimes I look at it through my, um. I don't know, philosopher king, uh, wouldn't this be the best, you know what I mean? Yeah, sort sure, of that. stepping back of wouldn't this be the best public policy in the, and then sometimes I look, you know, look at things as, as the on the ground politics. Um, and, and looking through the on the ground politics, my thought is um, why, because here, here's the thing, here's, here's why Trump lost uh, a little bit is that you and I are talking about this today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and, and again, not that what you and I talk about, uh, adds up to a, a hill of beans here, but um, other other media outlets, which more people listen to, are also talking about it, as opposed to just uh, running the replay of of uh, Trump spiking the ball <laughs> and turn on the Mueller report. Um, it's sort of he had a, a week lined up of, of really great press yep. and and just other like fun stuff like uh, Avenetti getting uh, charged and arrested, and I mean he's had uh, the trade deficit uh, shrunk and. Uh, you know, he, he had, there was just like this yeah. parade of, of really great Trump news and all he had to do is just get out of the way of the parade. Well, yeah, and that, um, yeah that's, I, I totally agree. And that's, fru- that's frustrating from the, yeah, the political standpoint. It's it's like, he's the anti Mitch McConnell. And it's, I know it's like, it's like he was sick of winning. Yeah. Well, you know, at, at, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at, at some point, I think maybe I don't, at, at some point we'll, we'll need to talk about, or maybe we'll talk about the, uh, the green New Deal vote uh, that that happened this week, but that that occurred to me kind of in context of this because Mitch McConnell, for all you know how I feel about Mitch McConnell, I, I, yeah. I but Mitch McConnell understands the importance of protecting his people, and so much of what he does is focused on protecting his people from being in bad situations, from making bad votes. I mean, Nancy Pelosi does the same thing. That is a totally foreign concept to Donald Trump, and that's what I yes. think. It, that's what I think makes him far less effective one of the many things that makes him far less effective as a president than a lot of other conservatives who could have been in that office right now and so that that's why i think ultimately the trump years are going to be seen as a as a big loss for conservatives because they had this opportunity running against a you know a, a pretty weak democratic candidate and they ended up electing this guy who just doesn't understand how to do politics because for all yeah. his vaunted abilities as a deal maker you know uh he he clearly has very low skills in that area well i i, I disagree and say low skills in, in politics i think he understands how to do politics 
for himself. Yeah, for himself, exactly. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't, I think he's, he may not see the bigger. Okay, so his policy uh, skills are, I would yeah. say, his, his ability to get policy through, which I think people sometimes forget. You know, we focus so much on the horse race and who this is a win for and who this is a lose for. But in the end, it's about passing policies that help the American people. And that's not just rhetoric. And for a lot of members of Congress, it isn't just rhetoric. And so it's deeply frustrating that when you have a president who doesn't understand how to make that work, and Donald Trump yeah. doesn't. So, all right, let's, I mean, we can pivot real quick. We have one other story. But before we uh, get to that what, story, Jay, oh, Jay, I wanted to say, to thank some people. yeah, you know, it was, uh, last week was our biggest week in a while for new supporters. And uh, Trey and Ken, I think they always do a great job. They did the show last week. But I thought they did a particularly good job last week. I, I really enjoyed their show, and maybe they deserve a certain amount of the credit for that. So, Trey and Ken, thank you. But uh, th- Thank you, Ken. Th- yeah, Ken. This last week we had, let's see, uh, new monthly supporters on Patreon, Alex, Stan, Jason, and Amanda, all new supporters. And Amanda wrote in to say, I'm a proud new supporter on Patreon. I've been listening to the podcast since the beginning, and now is the time to support the show. My father, a Republican, my mother, a Democrat, and myself, a Libertarian, led to a childhood and adulthood filled with channel flipping from CNN to Fox News and back. Thank you for a wonderful podcast where both sides on the debate can be heard without that daily dose of talking heads and radical politics that dominate mainstream media. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. Yeah, that's really nice. And also, I should mention that our longtime supporter on Patreon, Eric, significantly increased his monthly pledge of support this month. And finally, we had Giorgios, who uh, pledged uh, support on, uh, on PayPal, actually, which is something you can also do. So... Thanks so much, folks. We really do appreciate it. Also, I want to mention that uh, a little while ago, Jay, you might remember, I, I mentioned I was writing a paper on political podcasts. And in fact, next week, I'm going to be presenting that at a political science conference. And Ooh. yeah, yeah Where are you going? Uh, Chicago, actually. So okay. to be, I love Chicago. Um, it's like New York, but less stressful, you know, in some ways. So uh, my favorite, my favorite big city, probably. But anyway, um, as part of that project, I compiled a list of active podcasts that are either hosted by political scientists or that feature political scientists on every or almost every episode. And uh, I actually learned about a ton of great podcasts. And if you're interested, go to politicsguys.com. I have a whole list of them now. I'm going to keep that updated. And it's under the menu item, Political Science Podcast. So you can check that out. And for uh, anyone who's interested in the full paper, which uh, isn't that long, and I don't do political science jargon or anything like that, um, I posted it on our Patreon site, and it's available to supporters at any level. And if you want to support us, check that out and all the other stuff we have there. It's patreon.com slash politicsguys. And, of course, we really would appreciate it. Thank you so much, folks. So, Jay, you said we have one more story, right? Well, I think so, if we have time. Yeah, and this, this also should, goes to since health, it's related healthcare to, yeah, and Medicaid exactly. expansion. Um, uh, and that is last week, uh, Federal District Court Judge uh, James Gorb. Ah, Blasberg. Blasberg, yeah, Jimmy. Blasberg, from the federal district court in D.C., uh, struck down the uh, waiver, essentially, of, of uh, work requirements uh, for Arkansas and also Arkansas, uh, Arkansas, and Ar- uh, your your home state of Kentucky, mm-hmm. the Arkansas, I think, or Oklahoma. No, it's Arkansas. Arkansas, and Kentucky. Arkansas. Yep. Yeah, Arkansas. Uh, the Arkansas uh, had been in effect for uh, for several months now. Uh, Kentucky's work requirements were set to go into effect next week, um, and he struck them down on on the basis that, and and I'll I'll 
respectfully disagree with the judge. Uh, and the dubious sort of basis that I think that, that you said Medicaid ought ought to be uh, getting money to as many people as as possible, and this sets up a barrier and makes it uh, difficult, and therefore does not in the spirit of the law. Uh, so therefore, uh, these changes um, are, are impermissible. Um, now, I, that's fully expected that this will be appealed, uh, and and I think quite honestly the the Department of HHS has the, the better legal hand in this one. Um, the judge's opinion, you know, looked at a lot of the issues <clears throat> that, that he highlighted, mostly had to do with reporting, uh, that say someone uh, uh, someone in Arkansas who would have to report, and the, the requirement there was uh, 80 hours a month uh, of, of work or some equivalent work job training. Um, and you were supposed to do this online, and it, there was a question of, of people having internet access and so forth. Um, so the, I mean, to me, I, I think this is sort of an overstep. Um, uh, the way this works is that you know it's the Medicaid program, and states can seek waivers uh, from the department to do their own sort of creative um, things to, to make the program more efficient. Um, and uh, uh, you know, work requirements are, are a popular one, and I, I think not a not an unreasonable one. And I think there's a lot of good um, uh, research to show that getting people back into into work uh, is probably better for their health in the long run. Now, this of course these these requirements apply only to able-bodied uh, persons and and under the age of, of 65. So, um, Mike, what are your thoughts here? Well, I mean, on the politics of it, it seems like a lot of states are are doing this because they want to take advantage of the Medicaid expansion. And I totally get that because it helps out, it's helped out a lot of people, you know, tens of millions of people are, uh, and, but they want to save money too. And so by designing it, you know, most of the people who are study, a number of studies have shown that most adults on Medicaid either work or are seeking work. And so by, well, it doesn't apply to them. They're, they're going to well, be, no, it applies to them because the, they'd have to report exactly it. the reporting requirements end up, uh, knocking a lot of people off depending on how they're designed basically and it seems like there's an argument to be made that a lot of these states are doing that because they want to make the expansion more affordable and if they can knock some people off they kind of get some expansion but they make it a little more affordable and that sort of thing so but to me i agree that it's overreach but i agree it, but i think it's overreach by by the executive branch essentially waivers are only acceptable when they improve the program. You know, that's making it more efficient, making it more effective, that sort of thing. And, and no, the, the idea that work requirements might be a good thing, I, I certainly don't have any problem with that. And, but the executive branch doesn't get to change the law through waiver approvals. You know, Congress legislates, and if it wants to require a work requirement in, in Medicaid, or give the states the option of including one. It can absolutely pass legislation to that effect and, hey, go to it and try to get it through the legislative system. But the executive branch doesn't get to change a law that it doesn't like affected by executive action, whether that's waivers that don't really relate to the primary mission or, say, a President Obama going ahead and saying, you know what, I'm going to call this prosecutorial discretion and not try to, not, not try to, uh, deport anyone or getting one out. Entire class. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think this is a very correct ruling, and it's sort of saying that, hey, Congress legislates, and you don't get the right to laws and, and make the laws what you want them to be. I think it's a correct ruling, 
and I think it's a, a good step, and I hope it will be upheld on appeal. Yeah, no, I think I, I, yeah, uh, your your phrase, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> the the um, uh, Medicaid Act, I mean, allows states some flexibility. There's some flexibility that's supposed to be built in there, and but flexibility uh, to do I'm, what, Jay? That, that, I guess that's what well, I'm flexibility to to improve the program. Now that that looks at the in in uh, Judge Blasberg's uh, 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 view, improving the program means having as many people as possible uh, on Medicaid, receiving as much money as possible. Um, that, But he, he doesn't actually equate how the work requirements make people more or less healthy. And in some ways, listen, if you, if you can have someone on uh, Medicaid who is incentivized to work, get another job where they have private paying insurance, which is going to be better than Medicaid, you've, you've done, done some wonderful things. You've, you've taken someone off the Medicaid rolls You've put them on to uh, private insurance. They're getting better coverage. They're working. They're generating income. They're paying taxes, um, and you've lowered the burden on the taxpayers. Uh, so I, I mean, I think isn't isn't that sort of the, the goal? And, and to, to use you know Reagan's formulation from years ago, I mean, our measure of charity shouldn't be how many people are are on public assistance, but how many people come off it. Yeah, and I think that's a you know that's a reasonable point to make. But I think in part of the judges. Uh ruling, he said that these, uh, these, these waivers or these programs were uh, arbitrary and capricious. And that's, of course, that comes up a lot because it's a, it's a technical. Those are the magic words for knocking out a regulatory action. Because, and and what that, what that suggests to me is I, I don't necessarily disagree with your reasoning. In fact, in the, at the most basic level, of course, we want as few people as possible on public assistance and getting these benefits and being part of the workforce and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. But I think if the states can make a better and clearer case that this, in fact, is, you know, that this, this isn't some kind of a theoretical connection, then maybe. But I think part of his part of his opinion was that they really didn't make enough of an argument along those lines. And maybe if they make more of one, then that that gets by. So so I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I, I agree, in fact, that we should want as few people on Medicaid as possible. But also, I think you would agree that Medicaid programs shouldn't be designed to make it hard for people to report and therefore kick them out of the program and save money. Sure. No, I, I think the, the reporting, to me, that's what this issue came down yeah. to was the reporting system was, was flawed and was difficult yeah. uh, and could result in people uh, improperly, people who were working getting kicked off the rolls. Um, I mean, the, the idea is to, to prevent people from, uh, you know, just, just not working and accepting benefits. Um, but to the extent that this would knock people out who were working, but just were, were unable to, or, or whatever, for whatever reason, couldn't report. No, I think that's, I think that's the better argument. And the way to fix that is to come up with a better reporting. Uh, Yeah. And see, I, I agree with you on that. If there's a if there's a reporting system that doesn't impose a uh, that doesn't impose any kind of a significant burden on people, then yeah, I don't. I mean, this is where I probably part company with some on the left because I think it's a not unreasonable argument that uh, having employment and and so forth has these these benefits secondary to health and so forth. So okay. I think that's maybe borderline, maybe borderline acceptable, and a lot depends on the on the reporting requirements. But my yeah. sense of things is that in too many instances, 
this has kind of been pushed as well. We're going to try to make knock as many people off the rolls and make these things uh, make these things difficult, and that certainly yeah. is not what we want. I, I would I, I would I would counter. I think the reporting requirements in this case are. I mean, again, this is you know almost my voting argument uh, are perhaps a little too lax in in the, the way they're reported uh, because I think it would allow a lot of people. I mean, because all you'd have to do, is my understanding from the, the Arkansas and Kentucky programs, is sort of log on to this website and, you know, ask, are you working? You say, yep. Um, <laughs> see you next month. Um, and that seems so, I mean, and that seems simple to you and to me. You know, and no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying I'm saying it, it invites, you know, does that really provide the incentive sure. to go find a job? Um, no, I, I suppose it provides the incentive to go log on and say that you're, you have a job. Yeah, I, I, um, I think the problem. But, but I, th- I think, I mean, a, a better, more robust reporting system that, you know, got reports from employers or, or workforce agencies or uh, those those kind of folks uh, would make a lot more sense for everybody. Yeah, well, and I think that's that I think that's at least a more reasonable argument. Now, to me, I feel like Medicare, uh, uh, Medicaid has always been kind of the, the, the poor sister to to Medicare and Medicare seen as well. This is this entitlement type of program and this is my right. But there's a stigma always attached to Medicaid. And I, I feel like none of this should be there and that Medicaid should be seen as in fact, just as much of an entitlement as Medicare. And we need to take this stigma off of it, but that's a, that's certainly a separate kind of more theoretical. But you just said you wanted fewer people to be on Medicaid. Well, yeah, I, I mean, certainly that's my goal, but I don't think there should be a stigma attached to it. And by making it, there's no stigma attached to Medicare, right? Because it's just seen as a natural entitlement right. sort of thing. And I think it's really oh. unfortunate. Well, there are just these poor people who can't handle their own lives and so forth. So they have to take this public assistance. No one really feels that way about Medicare. And I feel like just as a matter of, you know, I don't know, you call it human, human dignity, what have you, that all of our social safety net programs should be seen in that light. And that's why on that kind of basic level, I have a problem with all of these various means testing things, because I believe they have that effect. And so that's just a, that's just a more kind of general concern. All right. I mean, but Medicare is by its nature means tested, right? I mean, it's, it's oh, yeah, you, you know, to be, available yeah, to, you, to age, yeah. you know, this, this percentage of, well, so of Medicaid, poverty in your income. So it's Medicaid because it's a, it's an income thing. Or I'm sorry, our Medicaid, that's, yeah. what I, that's what I meant was in Medicare. Yeah. There's, there's Medicare, there's, and you apply based on your, your age, it applies based yeah. on your age, but then there's also sliding scales um, after that. Yeah. But, yeah. All right. Well. All right. Well, with 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 that, so I get to wrap it up because I was driving. Yeah, today. go right ahead, man. So yeah, with with that, I think we'll we'll say uh, goodbye for now, and please join us on the after show, where we will be talking about the Democrat uh, New Deal vote Ooh, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, Jesse Smollett's uh, surprising. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know what you want to call it. I don't know. Exoneration. Yeah. Well, it's Not a kind of ongoing sort of thing, right? It, yeah. yeah it's, it's a pretty interesting case, I think. So yeah, I'm, I'm eager to talk about that for sure. So thank you very much, and uh, we will see you next week. And hey, just before I forget, Jay, if you want to get in touch with us, you know how to do it. Oh, yeah. Mail at politicsguys.com. We'd love to hear from you with your uh, thoughts, concerns, complaints, whatever, just general. We don't really want the Well, yeah, philosophies of the world. I don't know, whatever. But, and also there's that there's the Facebook group, uh, facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And we're also on Twitter at politics guys and the finally the executive producers of politics guys are me michael baranowski you jay carson bruce johnson Lil moreno and benji fishman 
Today's show produced by both of us, Jay and Mike, and we will in fact be back with a new show on Wednesday. We hope you join us.